out of darkness and into light. And sometimes conversion has been parallel to coming into a dark room and someone turns the light switch on and immediately the room is filled with light. Well, when we have come to Christ, it is just like the light has come on spiritually for us. And Isaac Watts picked up that theme in the hymn we're going to be starting with tonight. And the chorus says, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. 140. Let's stand, please, as we worship the Lord tonight. It says, but drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. Friend, if you know Christ tonight in your heart, if you're rejoicing in salvation, then let the joy of the Lord come to your heart and sing out with all your energy as we come to the chorus especially and we think of that great truth of the light that sprang into our heart because of the knowledge of Christ our Savior. Verse 4. Thank you. 
Let's come to the Lord now, please, in prayer, commit our evening service to Him. Lord, once more, we have been given the grace and the blessing and privilege of being in Your house, in the place of prayer and worship on this Lord's Day evening. Father, we give thanks from our heart for all the mercies that we have received from Your gracious and kind hand. The greatest of all blessings that we have is to know, Lord, that we are not any longer in the darkness of our sin and separation from our God, but we have been brought out of darkness and into the light and the liberty of the sons and daughters of God. And Lord, what thanksgiving we have tonight in our hearts. What rejoicing. I pray that we will walk daily in the light and fellowship and truth of the gospel that has been made known to us. Dear Lord, we pray that this evening in our service we will be very, very conscious of the Holy Spirit again working, speaking through the Scriptures, taking our prayers as we pray publicly and in the heart. And Lord, that the Word of God will be written on our souls so that we will be edified will be built up in our most holy faith. We will understand what it means to mix the Word of God with faith so that we will grow. Lord, we want to be more like our Savior. We pray that that change, that transformation that has been promised through the work of grace in sanctifying us, that it will be accelerated. That, Lord, we will know the Savior being reflected in us and through us in our everyday experiences. Lord, have mercy upon us, we pray, and I ask that we would know great grace, the reviving of our spirit and heart, and we'll be drawn even closer to our Savior and walk with Him day by day. Dear Lord, make us a light, we ask, to bear the truth of Jesus and to make us soul winners that we will be able to lead men and women to Christ. Lord, make use of us, we pray. We don't know how much time we have left. Days are numbered. We know, Lord, there is an appointed day for our death and departure We know that absence from our body, we will be present with our Lord. And whether we have many days or few, let each day count for our God. Help us to realize the great and precious gift and privilege of life we have to live each day. Help us never to get into the doldrums of just putting in time, Lord. We don't want to do that. We want to be your servants, want to be useful, and we pray that we'll be in the right place to be used at the right time. Lord, bless us in our service tonight. Remember, Father, those we have been praying for 
that need a special touch upon their bodies. We pray tonight, especially for Serene. Lord, you know her situation and state. It seems to be getting worse and the complications more difficult. Lord, we ask that in mercy you would pour out your grace upon her and help her in this time of her need. Remember our sister Joan and Duncan. Bless them tonight. We pray, Lord, that you would watch over and bless our brothers Steve, Kelly, and Carol out in B.C. Lord, strengthen them and help them. Pray for our brother Ron. Thankfully, he's here tonight in the service. Continue to encourage his heart and touch his body and bless him. And Father, there are others not just bearing physical problems, but maybe spiritual concerns, perhaps something in the family or in the workplace. Lord, help and step in and supply every need. Be with us now tonight. We're thankful for this evening's service and as we come to wait around the table of Christ at the end of this time. Lord, be very, very near to us. And may we remember again what it cost the Savior, the Holy One, to bear away our sin. So, be with us, we ask. Lord, we don't want to be neglecting, praying for our leaders, our political leaders. Lord, they need salvation. They need to be brought to Christ. And we pray for them. And we ask, Lord, that they would be restrained from evil intention and purposes. There would be an overarching restraint upon them. Lord, we know our land, our nations, this Western world, in many respects, has rejected the Bible, the things of truth and righteousness. And our society seems to be spinning out of control in many ways. Oh, Lord, help us to be as Your servants, lights, witness, salt, to preserve and savor. Dear Lord, hear our prayer tonight. Have mercy upon us, we pray. Remember those who are suffering for the cause of Jesus in whatever part of the globe they are. May they know very much the Savior standing by their side, the Holy Spirit strengthening them moment by moment. And dear God, until that day comes when we will all be in glory, we will all be standing and sitting with our Savior. Lord, until then, we want to be faithful in Your work. So bless us now tonight in our service. We ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Number 137, as we sing again to the Lord's praise, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. We'll stand please again to sing.
very happy that you're here tonight in our service, and we want to welcome you all. We enjoyed uh, some visitors in our meeting uh, this morning, and we're happy that you're here tonight. And if you are with us for the first time, or maybe you have come back again, we want you to know you're very welcome in the name of our Lord and Savior. And it is our prayer always that you will be refreshed by the Scripture, by the Word of God, both as we sing and as we read and as the Word of God is presented. And uh, we pray that you'll be strengthened. If you are visiting, you are welcome to sign our visitor's book uh, as you leave tonight. And if you're watching online, be please uh, email us that we would have a record of your visit with us And if you have any need that we could pray with you about, then please let us know, and we would be happy to reach out and contact you. Please remember our sister Serene continuing in your prayers. Flo was telling me this morning as she left that uh, Serene had to go to emergency again last night. Her situation is more complicated. And do just remember our sister in the Lord that she would be comforted and she would know much grace and much peace and a touch of the Lord upon her body at this time. Let me ask you to remember, please, the upcoming meetings that will be taking place uh, this coming week, uh, both in our church here on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, as the Brethren Assemblies will be using our building for those three days for their special Easter conference. And then we have the services in Port Hope in our congregation there on Friday and Saturday. So please remember those meetings, pray for them, and you are welcome to go to all of, all of them or any of those services. And certainly in Port Hope there is a, a sheet on the back that you could sign if you're planning to go for the dinner, especially on Friday uh, afternoon. The service is at 3.30, the first one. Then there will be a dinner between that time and the evening service at 7. And you'd be welcome to go uh, for that dinner as well. But they just need to know for the food preparation. So put your name on that list before you leave tonight. After our service this evening, we will be meeting around the Lord's table. And it is His table for His people And if you know Jesus as your own Savior, then you're welcome to partake and have fellowship with us. You don't have to be a member of this church, but we do encourage you that you need to know the Lord Jesus as your own Savior. Now, if you're not a believer, you don't have to leave. You're welcome to stay, but we just encourage you, please do not take the bread or the juice as it is passed by, but you're very welcome to remain and to observe all that takes place. On Wednesday night this week, we will be continuing in our prayer meeting and our Bible study every Wednesday at 7.30. Let me encourage you again, if you have not been attending regularly or coming at all, uh, to be there at the Wednesday prayer meeting. It is a very important service of the week. It's a vital service to be there, whether in person or online. And we have that availability in both ways. We do encourage you to be in person if you can. But if you can't, join us online and you'll be very welcome uh, to be there 
and to pray for God's blessing in your own life, in your family, in our congregation, in the many, many needs that we have. Next Lord's Day, we will be meeting for Sunday school at 9.50, and then our morning service at 11, the evening service at 6.30. There are a couple of other advance announcements we leave with you for prayer, and those in our congregation, you know about those, our May Presbytery meeting and the special conference coming up in August. Let's remember and hold on to the Lord for these meetings. Let's sing again, please, to God's praise. Psalm 103, the first selection, and the Psalms are at the back of our book. If you are using our hymnal, if not the words behind me on the screen. Let's stand, please, as we worship. Enjoy singing that psalm to the Lord's honor and praise. And many, many of God's people have been comforted as they rejoice and think and give praise to Him from those great words, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Let me ask you to turn now, please, in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 27. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. We read some of these verses this morning, and we are going to read them again and include some of the ones we left out. We're reading from verse 1 of chapter 27. 
Matthew's Gospel, 27. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put Him to death. When they had bound Him, they led Him away and delivered Him to Pontius Pilate the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed Him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. And now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that 
he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. We'll end our reading there, verse 27. Please, let's bow for prayer. Father, as we have this very solemn word open now, we ask simply and humbly tonight that our hearts would be open to this Word. Lord, don't let the devil bring any strange thoughts to any minds. Let every one of us be very settled and still. Lord, I need help to deliver this Word tonight. And I pray for the Spirit's help and power. Ask, Lord, again that it might please You to open the hearts of those who are unsaved. I pray, Father, that You would take away any confusion, any misunderstanding, or any word of deception the devil might try to plant to bring confusion in the heart. Dear Lord, hear that prayer. And for those of us who are saved, I pray, Lord, that we would have a a greater understanding and a deeper gratitude of what it cost for our salvation. Lord, hear our prayer tonight. Settle us now in Your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning in our service, we were thinking on this passage of Scripture and the theme of the innocent condemned to die. We focused on the first of four people groups that are represented here at the time of the condemnation of of Christ and the judgment that was set upon Him. We looked at Judas today and the part that he had to play in the greatest injustice 
that has ever been inflicted upon any man in all of human history, for this innocent man was condemned to die. In the early morning hours, Christ was bound and taken to the palace of the high priest. Notice had already gone out to all the chief priests and elders and those who were part of the Sanhedrin to be in the palace before dawn. All was now set. And the defendant was brought in before them to face the charge of blasphemy, punishable by death. Can you imagine and picture this scene in your mind? For the chief priests and the elders, surely there would be flashes of memory that would bounce in their own minds of the first encounter of Christ, of the humiliation that they endured being exposed for their hypocrisy, and the hatred continued from that first time until now of His arrest, and that hatred would not be satiated. It wouldn't be pacified until the death of Jesus. The false witnesses that were brought, unable to agree, they left the kangaroo court in somewhat limbo until the Lord Jesus spoke up and made it very clear that He was the Son of Man, the Son of God, and they would see Him sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of glory as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that was the word they needed. It was enough for that gang gathered. And so, from, their own, from His own lips, they declared that He was guilty of death. And they said, let Him be crucified. As we think about this second part of the innocent being condemned to die, I want to look at the people that are involved in this, that are active and that are passive. And may the Lord take this solemn truth tonight and apply it to our hearts. So we thought this morning about Judas, the full weight of what he had done had now settled upon his soul, and he saw that Jesus was being judged, condemned, and heading for death. Did he assume that Jesus would escape by his own power? Did he think he would do something that he had done previously to escape from the Jews? Judas affirmed, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. Judas represents those who have known the way of righteousness. They've been taught the things of God. They were in close proximity to the Lord Jesus through His Word, through faithful testimony and witnesses, being brought up perhaps in godly homes. But they counted the blood of the covenant. They counted the blood of Christ of nothing, and have trampled under their own feet the Son of God. 
I said this morning, and I repeat it tonight, friend, do not trifle with these solemn matters. And the exhortation of the Lord comes to us again, to everyone who is outside of Christ. Now is the day of repentance. Now is the day of salvation. And now the door is open for you to come. But remember this, friend, that God says very solemnly, My Spirit will not always strive with man. And that tells us there is a line that can be crossed. There is a running out of time. And so, my dear friends, it is so vital that you are in time and you be sure that you are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thinking now about the second group that are here, very obviously in the context of this, the chief priests and the elders. These men were absorbed in their own world of right and wrong. They could judge and virtually excuse almost anything as they massaged the law and they made it say what they wanted to say in order to justify their wrongdoing. They are for us a prime example of legalism. Outwardly living by a code or a law to appear righteous, but inwardly they are corrupt, spiritually dead. That term legalism is wrongly used today by some folks who would claim Christian liberty, more a cloak for worldliness, And such folks today may use a very broad brush to paint anyone, any Christian that is, who seeks to obey the commandments of Christ or to walk in obedience to the Word of God to expose evil or compromise, they would describe them as being legalists. But this is a very careless tossing out of that term and is often no more than an excuse for them to live their lives with very minimal restraint, indulging in perhaps behavior that is clearly against the spirit and the mind of Christ, and enjoying, well, let's just say worldly living or lifestyle. It's really a mask for something called antinomianism, which is a word that means against the law, or without the law, without the law of God. And a very favorite scripture that is brought forward by folks who think that way would be that we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace, a verse of scripture that they take out of context, I might add. And it's a catch-all phrase for living as close to the world as you can and still retain a reasonable conscience. Still call yourself a Christian. 
At any rate, Christians who desire to honor Christ, which I know you do tonight, desiring to honor Christ and to walk in the fear of God and to keep His Word, you are not a legalist. You are a person who has been confronted with the Word and the commandments of Jesus Christ, which He says, if you love Me, you'll keep His, My commandments. And the commandments of Christ are not grievous. And if you want to follow the commands of God, and that very one that He said, be ye holy as I am holy, well, continue on. Persevere. Press forward. You are not a legalist. You are an earnest believer following Christ. And you want to honor Him in your life. But in front of us here is a true description of what a legalist is. And the chief priests and elders and Pharisees were in that category. These are people who had a front of religion. They had a front of purity. They looked the part, but inside they were rotten to the core. There was an appearance of spiritual life, but the inside they were dead. Or as Jesus rightly said, they are like whitewashed graves, whited sepulchers. They look good on the outside, but on the inside there's nothing but death and corruption, full of dead men's bones. And that is the Lord's description of what a legalist is. Today there are trees that grow in North America. They're called emerald ash trees. They have been decimated by a very small creature that was discovered in Ontario in 2002 to have infected the trees here. It's the larvae of the ash borer. And what this little creature does, it tunnels its way into the tree and comes between the bark of the tree and the actual trunk of the tree itself. And this larvae, these larvae of the ash borer, they eat away at that very important channel of taking the nutrients and the water up and down the trunk of the tree. And when they release virtually the bark from the tree by their eating away, they have destroyed millions of ash trees in North America. It's a great plague. And you will see them all over southern Ontario for sure. The trees, that is. The thing is that when you examine the trunk of that tree, you will see that it stands, the bark is on the tree. It's only when you look up to the branches that you will see the evidences of death. But to look at the tree itself, it looks perfectly normal. That is, until you were to cut the tree a little bit, or you were to brush by it or bump it, then you would find literally the bark would fall off the tree. 
because the tree is dead. But on the outside, it looks very good. And so, my friend, is the legalist, the formal religious person that has all the appearance of being good and with life on the outside, but on the inside, at closer examination, it reveals there is spiritual death. There is no life. When Judas threw the silver on the temple floor, those religionists so concerned with procedure, so concerned with form, so concerned with appearance, they would not dare to take the defiled coin, the silver coin, and put it into the treasury of the temple. Oh no, can't do that. That's against the law of God. That's bad money. Where did the bad money come from? The bad money came from the bad people. But they were so concerned with this that they determined this is blood money now. And because it's blood money, they chose rather a charitable act. We will buy a field. We'll buy a public graveyard. And we'll use that field to bury strangers or Gentiles in. This was the price of the innocent blood. It's called the field of blood here in Matthew 27. And also in Acts chapter 1, verse 19, Peter refers to akeldama. It's the Greek word that means simply the field of blood. That word field of blood or innocent blood as it was betrayed, the word innocent blood only appears once in the New Testament here that we have in Matthew. But that term appears several times in the Old Testament. In the first place it's recorded is found in Deuteronomy 19 and verse 10, and it says that innocent blood be not shed in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth to thee for an inheritance, and so blood be upon the land. So God was saying to them that I'm going to give you a place, and they were called cities of refuge, where if someone was charged with a crime of murder and they were not guilty, they could flee to the city of refuge because God was saying that if innocent blood is found guilty, then the crime is going to be against the whole land. And until due process could take place in those cities of refuge to find out was the person indeed guilty of killing someone? Was it by accident? Was it manslaughter? What was the deal behind it? Judgment had to be done correctly. God required that justice would be done among His people, and there was to be no respective persons. You weren't supposed to take someone on board and give them a, a free ride if you knew them, if they were wealthy, if they contributed a lot to society. No, God says no. No respective persons in judgment. The guilty was to be condemned, and the innocent were to go free. 
This was the whole structure of the Jewish legal system. And the reason was that because God was the one who gave the whole legal system to them. But so far had the religious leaders in Christ's day fallen into apostasy that the distortion of law and justice was now at its very climax. These Jewish leaders, just like Judas, were guilty of the innocent blood, and they also were spoken about in Psalm 94. I'd like you to turn there. Turn to Psalm 94. Listen to what the psalmist says. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, with God? Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with God, which frameth mischief by a law? They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn. But the Lord is my defense, and my God is the rock of my refuge, and He shall bring upon them their own iniquity, and shall cut them off in their own sin. Now, we are told that they bought the potter's field. It is thought that this land, located in the valley of Hinnom, outside the walls of Jerusalem, was once a place where red clay was quarried because it was rich area for those who were involved in making pottery. So, um, an amount of excavation, quarrying, had, be done, had been done in that area until they had received the clay out of that. So, when it was purchased with this blood money, it made a very ready burial ground. You had a lot of area that had been excavated. And so now you had to just put the body in and cover it over with some dirt or whatever. Job's done. Peter uses that phrase in Acts 1.19, the field of blood, for very good reason. And he says that Judas purchased that ground. Well, we know that Judas didn't purchase it himself. He was dead by then. But it was, of course, the betrayal money that purchased it. I want you to notice a, a side point here, coming back to Matthew 27 and verse 9. It says, Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. This is a, was a fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament regarding what would become of Judas and what would become of the 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, that Christ would be 
purchased or betrayed with. It's another one of those amazing prophetic fulfillments that we have from the Old Testament Scripture. But there's one interesting point here, and I don't know if you caught it. We're told that it was the prophet Jeremy or Jeremiah. Now, the only difficulty is that the prophecy is not located in Jeremiah. It's located in Zechariah, chapter 11 and verse 12. And there are some people who have suggested that the difficulty was a scribal error. Because in Greek, there is only one letter difference between the word Jeremiah and the word Zechariah. However, others have suggested that it was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah as well as the prophet Zechariah, which is not unusual, and only Zechariah has the detail of that prophecy. And that's a legitimate way of trying to understand or express it. And another thought is this, that we know that the Old Testament Scriptures were divided into three sections, the Law, the Psalms, and the prophets. And our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 24, when He was speaking to those two on the road to Emmaus, He said to them, out of those three categories of the Old Testament, it was preached about Him, about His suffering. The law, the Psalms, and the prophets. And the order of books in the Jewish Scriptures, Jeremiah comes first in the prophets. And so the Jews would sometimes say and use the name of Jeremiah as the first or opening prophet to be the one that stood for the prophetic words that were spoken in any of the prophets. And remember that Matthew, who is the writer here of his book, was a Jew. And that would not have been strange to him at all. He would have known the Old Testament Scriptures. And so, my friends, I think that as we consider, it's not necessarily one or the other. It's not that Jeremiah and Zechariah spoke the word, and it's only recorded in Jeremiah. But it may well be a combination of both of these evidences of the Jewish Scriptures beginning with Jeremiah, and therefore it was used as that term. It's written in the prophecy Jeremiah. But the fact of it being a scribal error is not something that I would put much weight in as we consider the Scriptures and we look at these categories and try to understand them. It is clear, as we come back to this account, that the category of people represented by the religious leaders of Christ's day They bear the same marks today of apostate Christianity. They they represent people religious, people who are involved with formality of religious things, of heritage, of custom, of having a form of godliness. They have all the marks, but... 
they are not genuine followers of Christ. As a matter of fact, they have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. Oh yes, God is talked about. Jesus is admired, maybe, as a good role model, a wise teacher. Maybe even as someone who has influenced humanity. But not as a Savior. Not as their King. And not to be worshipped from their heart. Not the one to whom they owe their everlasting salvation. No. Outward presentation for that sector is of all importance. Like the ash bore that has affected the tree, it looks good on the outside, even appears to have life, but there's no life at all. Total death. Beware, friends, if there is the smell of death the smell of the forest, and flee to a living Savior and Redeemer. Don't put on the airs or the things that smell of false religion. Let us be always mindful that there is a living Redeemer who can save. There is a living Redeemer who is willing to save tonight. And to have heart religion is to have heart salvation. And that's what it's all about. And that's what we want to be all about. Heart and soul. Is that where you are tonight? Friend, you're listening online. Is that where you are this evening? The third category that we have is Pilate himself, the Roman governor. Pilate declared, I find no fault in this man. He declared the innocence of Christ, the man that was before him. The man who had come across his path, that I am sure he wished had never come across his path. He knew about the envy of the Jews. Pilate was not a stupid man. He was a smart man. He could see what was going on. He was a man of the world. He was a man of war. You don't get to be a governor in the Roman army for being someone who is less than with it. No, he knew what was going on. And he knew what these Jews were all about and why they had brought Jesus to be condemned. He knew it was for their envy. He knew that they were guys who had to protect their patch And if anyone tried to come in and step over them, they would not have any of it, especially among their own teaching and their own religion. Here was a man who was conflicted. He was conflicted and vacillating between following the rule of Roman law and keeping the peace in Palestine, the region that had been put upon him that he'd been assigned to oversee. And the last thing he wanted was another revolt, another uprising to get back to Rome to show that he was unable to keep the peace in the place. So what was he doing? He was acting as a politician. 
He was doing the best he could do to keep the peace and stop things from boiling over. And I'm sure he rationalized in his own mind, I know this guy is guilty of no sin. He's innocent. But I also know this. What does it matter to me? He would just be another Jew in this God-forsaken place that he has to rule over. He was a man who was conflicted about what he was going to do with Jesus the Christ. His decision was complicated by his wife because she came to him and said to him solemnly, seriously, have nothing to do with this just man? So we have the ungodly Judas that has declared, I betrayed innocent blood. We have this man Pilate, an ungodly Roman governor, who's saying there's no fault in this man. And now his wife comes to him and says, he's a just man. Don't have anything to do with him. In other words, don't have anything to do with the judging and condemning of this man. For I've suffered many things in a dream. How intense was that dream that Pilate's wife had? What did it involve? We do not know. But it was enough for her to dare, note note this, to dare to step into the judgment of Rome and the governor and the responsibility he had. What business did she have of stepping into his realm? None. But she warned him. Yes, Pilate knew that he was dealing with an innocent man who had never caused any trouble to the Roman Empire. Don't forget that. As a matter of fact, what did the Lord Jesus say when he was confronted with the question, is it good to pay tax to Caesar or not? The Lord, he he dumbstruck them with his answer, show me the coin. Whose is the image on the coin? It's Caesar. Therefore, give to Caesar the things that belong to him. Pay your taxes. And unto God the things that belong to him. So the Lord Jesus was no threat, had never done anything or spoken against the Roman Empire, but only that which was positive. And so here was Pilate trying all of his political skill, and he went so far as scourging an innocent man with the hope that when they saw the bloodied body of the Lord Jesus Christ, when they saw His face bruised and marred more than any man had ever been bruised or marred and still standing, they would have said, okay, enough is enough. We see that He suffered enough. And that's what Pilate was hoping, that they would have allowed Him to go free. But no, they were not going to stop there. And they began to shout. And when Pilate said to them, why do you want him crucified? What evil has he done? He's an innocent man. They never answered his question. They just started to clamor, let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. And the whole crowd was now in a fever pitch. The mob was about to riot. And Pilate, 
describes that scene. And he washed his hands in front of them all. And he washed his hands as a sign of innocency. How would that be received by the people? Well, he was trying to step away from what he was about to do. And he gave the order for Christ to be crucified. Who is Pilate like today? Who does he describe? Surely people in every age who look at life and commerce and business and even empire and governments as all that is important in this life, all that really matters. And the person of Christ was someone who would get stuck in the way of progress. He'd be someone who is an inconvenient situation that you're confronted with. Progress to living. Stand and try and proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ even in our governments today, and you will be marginalized. You would not be allowed to do it, number one, but you'd be set aside as some sort of a mad person. We've advanced beyond that today. We don't need to talk about these things. We've got life to live. We've got business to accomplish. We've got governments to rule the world. And we certainly don't need a little problem like this. Christ was a great inconvenience to Him. And really, He was a piece of unpleasant business on the day's to-do list for Pilate. What is Christ to you, friend, tonight? Where do you stand in relation to Him? What do you think about Him? How will you deal with the Lord Because in a very real sense, in the same dimension that Jesus Christ was in front of Pilate and he was confronted with a decision, what am I going to do with this man? You are also confronted with the same question as every person is. What will you do with Jesus? What is your answer? You cannot be neutral in this. You will not be. You will either consider Him, receive Him, or consider Him and reject Him. There's no neutral ground. And Pilate made his decision. Oh, friend, what will it be for you today? Because that decision will determine your eternal destiny. It will determine where you're going and where you will be forever and forever. And the last group is represented by a man called Barabbas. Barabbas, we are told not much about him, but the little we are told is significant. He was a man who was in the Roman prison because he had caused insurrection. There had been some uprising 
against the Roman authority, and therefore in that uprising he had committed murder. And so he is in jail awaiting trial, awaiting his judgment, a guilty man, guilty of treason against the Roman regime and empire. That's not a good place to be. Guilty of rising in insurrection and causing people to gather against the government. And then in that, guilty of murder. So he was a guilty man. Um, Beyond all the other sins that Barabbas would have been guilty of himself, those three were enough. And that's why he was a condemned man in jail. And so Pilate chose the most heinous, the most difficult, the most guilty of criminals that were in the court or that were in the prison of the Romans at that time. And I believe that uh, Pilate presented Barabbas because he would have been the most hardened case to ever be released from a Roman prison. But at that time of the year, there was a custom that the Romans would release one. It's a little carrot. It's a little benefit to the nation. And so he's saying, who do you want released? The king of the Jews or this loathsome criminal that even the Jews could not even defend? But what did they do? To Pilate's great shock, they chose Barabbas. How could that be? And Barabbas walked free that day from that prison. He walked free. Did he present a good case in the court? Did he have a good legal system? What did he have for his defense? What did he have to offer for his release from prison? What could he present to the Roman judge? Barabbas had nothing. He was a guilty man. He was ready to be crucified. But he was set free that day. And the innocent stepped into the place of the guilty on that day. And Barabbas was sent home. And all my friends tonight, I tell you, that Barabbas is you and me. We're him. Because we are guilty before God. We have offended and sinned against a holy God. And we are worthy of being crucified. We are worthy of being cast off into a lost eternity. But the Lord has had mercy upon us. And we have been freed and released. And all, friend, I ask you tonight, what category are you in? Who is the one that represents you? No, I pray that tonight you will see yourself in the place of Barabbas. You will see yourself in the place of an unworthy sinner who has been freed by Christ stepping in your place. And our Lord Jesus went to the cross and there He bled and died 
so that we might have forgiveness of sin, that we might be set free. I pray the Lord would write His Word upon our hearts tonight. Let's bow, please, for prayer. Father, if there is a soul here tonight without Christ, that they would come to call on Him. Lord, we give worship and praise that we have been forgiven, that we are justified tonight, that we are no longer under condemnation, but we have been freed. And Lord, tonight we give the worship of our hearts for all of Your mercy to us, undeserving as we are, And yet, dear Father, tonight we have life for time and for all eternity. Hear our prayers now. Work deeply in every one of us, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to sing our closing hymn number 443. 443. And if you are not staying for communion service, please feel free to leave sometime during the singing of the hymn or at the conclusion. It is your choice. Let's stand, please, to sing.
may be seated. Oh, what, what blessed peace there is 